I just keep hearing that word, that, you know, that, that God is always sovereign in our life, always sovereign over all things. And I, and I think that we want to say we believe that, but I don't think, I think our actions betray us sometimes, that God is sovereign. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I think sometimes we, um, we claim that, but we don't believe that. You know, and the, the surest way to figure out what you really believe is to see how you really behave. And I think we're all guilty of it. We all, we all say, yeah, you know, like Jesus is plan B for us. You know, the, the living God is, 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 you know, somewhere on my list. But I have to, to make sure that I uh, take care of my own here. And um, so there's a little, the, the word coming in this morning to the word. We've been studying uh, the book of Acts um, together as a community, which I love. I hope those of you who are engaged in family groups. And, and by the way, I hear that we're taking, uh, you know, that, the groups are just kind of going all different directions now. There were, I know our group was off, uh, the Carl group was off, off the trail uh, this week, but, but in scripture, but off the trail, and it was beautiful. And I know that another group had a meal, and I, I think that that's beautiful, that there's something that's working itself out in our community of, of faith here at Family Bible Church uh, that is just amazing. And so this is all happening as we journey through the book of Acts. I hope whether or not you're in a family group, you've been journeying with us through the book of Acts. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, if you, if you just open your Bibles up, and part of our passion, part of my personal deep-seated passion, and part of our passion as a church is, is to have you become uh, self-sustaining in some ways. And I don't mean that as if you depend on yourself, like we talked about, but rather that you would actively engage in your faith, that you wouldn't have to have someone there holding your hand the whole time to lead you to read some scripture today or to pray today. And, and, and there's something about this whole idea of God's sovereignty that he's working through your life right now, no matter where you are. And, um, and some of that, we just long for you to own yourself. Does that make sense? That... that even if you aren't able to be here on a Sunday morning, you would make it a point to be somewhere. Or even if you weren't able to make it anywhere on a Sunday morning, you'd make it a point to be in the Word. Or even if you weren't able to find a Bible, you'd make it a point to be speaking to God and listening to what He has to say. This journey is, um, is holistic, and we don't ever want to pretend that it's not, that God isn't working sovereignly in your life, in my life, and in every other created being's life. And that's a big, big thing to think about. And so as we start this morning, I want to encourage you uh, to be genuinely where you are today, you know? I think self-deception is probably one of the biggest roadblocks to our development, whether it be spiritual, emotional, personal. It's the biggest thing is, is, is that our self, we restrict ourselves and we're dishonest with ourselves. Uh, we, we dare not face the truth of, of who we are um, sometimes. And I just want to encourage you in this time and this place to be genuinely who you are, um, and where you are. Trust that that's okay because God is sovereign this morning. We're writing the book of Acts uh, for the last, uh, for what, five weeks now we've been in Acts and we're going to go about five more, okay? And we're in the book of Acts and, and uh, this morning we're talking about this idea of this community that begins to expand. But I want to talk a bit about the, the book that we're talking about because the book of Acts, and this is something that's been, as we studied, and I mean not in this time together all, all exclusively and not in my preparation this time, but as the community conversation happens, I'm amazed at how I hear the people of God saying something repeatedly back to me, which is the, the, the actions in this book that are recorded here seem unstoppable. They seem un... You can't, you can't stop it. And I think that we read that, and the title we talked about before, The Acts of the Apostles, some people would call this book, The Acts of the Apostles, because why? It records the lives of the early church people. That's why we wanted to go back to it, quite honestly. I want to go back and see what was going on back there. But the title is The Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Lives are transformed in this book. But the Holy Spirit of God is the primary mover, you see. The movement that we see, we witness in people's lives, much like lives today, when we see lives that are changed for Jesus Christ, it's so easy to put someone on a pedestal and say, look at them, look at them, but we should be looking at the Holy Spirit working through them. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what's happening in the book of Acts. These folks were folks like us, and that's the truth of what's happening today. And I want to make that point because here's what I'm trying to say. Fear is never a good motivator for life, life change or anything else. If you're parenting your kids, fear works for a while, and then it stops to work. <laughs> and I talked to a father, you know, I was talking to, to a dad and, and uh, his son. You know, the teenage boys, they start to push you a little harder, especially when you're having a conversation. And, uh, and this, this father I was talking to said, uh, kind of stood his ground and said, yeah, but he can't take me yet. But here's the secret. The day is coming. <laughs> you know? The day is coming. We're going to get tackled. Uh, and um, thank God there's this kind of, you know, cycle that men go through. We don't feel like need to be aggressive, hopefully, whenever they can totally take us out. But, but isn't it funny that, um, that there is that time that fear no longer works as a motivator, that you cannot demand, but rather, but rather influence, Okay? A life change. And so I want to say, all I'm trying to say by all this is, is this very clearly. God can't be stopped. God can't be stopped. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I, I sense so much fear, fear from the church and fear from others. Oh, what's going to happen? God cannot be stopped. God is sovereign, you understand. This is, not, this is not a hopeful wishing, oh, if we just try hard enough, God will have his way. God is sovereign in our lives. And if you don't believe me, let me ask you a question. How did you come to be here today? How did you come to be here today? And you think, well, I got up out of bed this morning, made a decision. That's absolutely true. I'm not taking that away from you. How did you come to exist? How did you come to choose your parents? Did you think about it for a long time? What kind of parents would I like? What kind of a household would I want to be raised in? What kind of a country would I like to be born in? You are not sovereign in that way in your life. God is sovereign. And until we get that right, we get everything wrong. We get everything wrong. God is sovereign over all things. And I'm saying that because to say God can't be stopped. The book of Acts keeps telling us that story over and over again. And and it's amazing. Once you start to hear that in your soul, you begin to have a peace that surpasses all understanding in times of trial, in times of struggle. Why? Because God is sovereign. It doesn't mean we don't have something to do because God is loving us and he doesn't want us to be you know, wounded and hurt and, or betrayed or, or anything else. But, but yet we have to know that first to know how we can live fully. That's what Jesus said, have life to its fullest. The book of Acts records that repeatedly, 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 right? That God is sovereign. So I want to I encourage you today to believe that, to believe that. Because the book of Acts is a historical document of the way the Holy Spirit transforms lives. And all these stories, while they're fun to read and we want to put them on a pedestal, let's not make that mistake. And let's believe that the Holy Spirit that goes before Paul, that goes before Peter, is the same Holy Spirit that goes before us today. Same one. There's no change. There's no point where the Holy Spirit is revoked from the planet and so this is our faith and this is our belief as, uh, as followers of the triune God, the living God, the speaking God. This morning we're going to get into the book of Acts um, uh, directly, but before we begin, uh, I would like to, uh, to pray together that God would open our hearts and open the word.
Uh, Father God, we thank you that we're here today, and no matter where we come from, no matter what our, our, our motivations were this morning, no matter what our, our angst are today, Lord, I pray that by the gift of your spirit, it would all be laid aside. That today, Lord, that we would be here to listen to you, uh, to, to speak your words, to hear your words, to give your love, to receive your love, just to be caught up, caught up in this great story that you're telling that involves us. And, uh, and I just thank you, Lord, today for everyone who's, who's been placed where they are uh, by your sovereignty, that whatever that means, Lord, that we would, be, um, we would have the confidence in you to allow you to lead. And uh, Father God, we pray today for softer hearts because our hearts can be so hard. And today, Lord, we pray that you would soften uh, our hearts to your word. Uh, sometimes uh, our minds seem incapable and uh, pray that today the word would be opened clearly to our minds, that we might pursue you, that we might be challenged by you, that we might submit to you, Father God, today, and uh, that you would be glorified. And we just thank you because we're here, because who else, where else do we go? to say thanks, but to you. So thank you, Lord, for this day. We pray sovereignty over it because it is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna start in the book of Acts today. Uh, Acts chapter 10 is where we're at. And, and we've been kind of rolling through here and, and lots of stuff's happening and we're skipping some stuff and we try to go back. That's what our group did this week, by the way. We wandered through the skipped stuff, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Um, and so... Uh, so I just hope that you're engaging the conversation. We're going to catch up here in the book of Acts chapter 10. I'm just going to read through this together with you. It's on uh, page, what is that, four, 764. If you don't have a Bible, there's someone in the chairs, uh, and you can grab one of those and, and read along this morning. It says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, uh, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray, and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet that be, being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Peter, or Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about this vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go to them, because I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who was respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited them into his house to be get, into the house to be guests. And the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa traveled along. And this, this little story here that we have uh, in Peter's life and in Cornelius' life comes, as, as for us as a community, right on the heels of the story of conversion of, of Paul, right? And we'll remember the conversion of Paul, that Paul was riding into the city when he was knocked off, knocked down, I should say, uh, by, the, by this, this blinding light, okay? And uh, had a vision, the same kind of an idea, and was led into the town. And here we have this, another telling of a story, and this time it's, it's this guy Cornelius. And so I just want to start here at the beginning. It says, Cornelius was a centurion in verse 1. Look at that with me. As, as, as to Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian Regiment. This means that this guy was a military officer, right? He was over about 100 guys or so in a, in a group of about 600 in the regiment. So he has some authority. And uh, not only that, he would be of the occupying party, you, hear, you see, um, that, that they would be the ones who are kind of suppressing those who are native to the lands, and, uh, and so here's this, this guy, uh, Cornelius, and, and he's got this authority. And, and look what it says. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. I'll ask a, a question because, see, I think often we, we see, who do we see in the story? Like who we see in last week's story? We saw Saul, right? Not so much Ananias, but Saul. And, and in this week, we have this, the story starts with who? Cornelius. It starts with Cornelius. And there's something to that. So Cornelius and his family were all were devout, right? It means they were pious. They were dutiful. They, they were the people who, who would do what had to be done, right? They were up, upright, upstanding citizens, you see. And, and they were fearing, God-fearing. That literally means they were theos, phobos, right? They, who has any phobias? Phobias always crack me up. Yeah, I have a, a few phobias. I have a height phobia, but... But it's not really a, I feel bad calling it a phobia because I can still push myself to do stupid things that are high. It just really messes with me internally. Are you like that? I think it's funny because I've seen people who have like arachnophobia. <laughs> There's a couple hands. And people will get, like grown people will climb on chairs and stuff. And I'm just like, are you serious? Because it doesn't seem that scary to me. But Cornelius here was a guy who was a god-a-phobe. I mean, he was a, he was a fear of God, which might sound kind of crazy, but, uh, but this is where he lived. He was this upright, pious guy. He raised a pious family. He may have had order in his house, right? If you're in the military, military families here, you get some, you get, sometimes you get order in your house when you're in a military household, right? You know, dad comes to the door, mom comes to the door and doesn't know that, that the, uh, you know, she, there's still rank <laughs> in the house. And so he has this kind of disciplined life and a God-fearing life that he's, 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 he was aware that there's a great God. And he gave pious, he gave um, generously, that's polis, many, much, a, a ton, to those in need, Laos, the people, right? And then he prayed to God regularly. Now, what's interesting about the prayed to God is it's, it's deomai uh, to theos. And so it seems as though, and I'm only going to say this here because in a minute we're going to talk about it a little more, but it seems as though, although Cornelius is upright and devout and doing the right things, he is, he is offering these prayers, but it's, it's more like he's begging. The word uh, deomai, doesn't, it's not, it's not pro, uh, what is it, prosuchomai, uh, whatever it is down below here, uh, prosuche. Prosuche is the prayer that we talk about when the people came to the manger and they rolled over like dogs, you know, and they just offer these prayers. This is the kind of prayer that we're usually talking about in Scripture. And here, the NIV translates us the same way. 
But it means he was basically begging God. He was just beckoning God, Theos. It's the one he's afraid of, you see. And he would pray. He would beckon God regularly in his, in his life. And he was giving uh, to the poor. And one day at about 3 in the afternoon, right, um, that is a specific time, he had a vision. Now, I, I want just to point this out. That, you know, who had the vision first in the last reading? Do you remember? Who had the vision first? Was it Saul or Ananias? It was Saul. Saul was knocked down. Now, here's the kick. We have a tendency to think, well, of course Saul got the revelation first because he's the man of God. But no, 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 no. Ananias was the man of God. Saul was the hater of God. And Saul got the vision first. That's kind of interesting, right? Here it is, Cornelius. Don't miss it. At three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision, a spectacle. He saw something unbelievable. And he distinctly saw, it means he publicly saw, he saw it right there in front of everyone, an angel of God, an angelon of Theos, right, who came to him, who entered his place and said, Cornelius. And the way the angel said Cornelius isn't like, um, Cornelius, you know? It's not like, maybe, I mean, but it's like, it actually has this idea of one who knows you by name. This is, this is the non-believing Cornelius. This is a man who's praying to a God he's afraid of but doesn't understand. And when God speaks to him, he speaks to him like this. Cornelius. How many times? One time. One time. I'm saying that on purpose, that he says it as one who knows. It's an interpersonal communication. It's the way you would say to your husband or wife, you have those names for your husband and wife? The one, not, not the pet names, okay, but the ones where you, you know, um, Chris calls me Billy. Billy? That's when I listen. Now, if she's wanting to like, do we want to go have supper here or there tonight, and she knows I'm doing something else, she'll say, Bill, Bill, Bill. But when she wants my attention, she'll go, Billy. Yes? Well, this is Cornelius here. This angel of God says, Cornelius. Look what his response is. Cornelius stared at him in fear. There's that Phobos again, right? In Phobos. He's just like, <gasps> and he says, yes, Lord. That's what it is. Tis, Lord. Uh, uh, yes, Lord, he asked. And the angel answers and just starts to right away dumping on this dude, Cornelius. Like, you can totally handle this, right? And he says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up. Look at it as a memorial offering before God. This is a memory offering of God. But somehow Cornelius has not forgotten the poor. Somehow Cornelius has not forgotten that there's a God to be feared, right? Cornelius has gotten a lot of this stuff right already. And he says, this angel says, that the prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. By the way, there's the word prosuke, right? Right? So here's the word. This is the prayer that he's been offering, that God has heard it as a memorial offering, calling to mind something in God, reminding something here, and God heard the prayer. This says God hears the cries of his people in the text. You know that. These, these cries of the oppressed, these cries of those who are lost, who have no hope. God is revealing himself to those who have no hope today. Do you hear what I'm saying? See, we act like we got the market cornered on God, folks. We act like God's only moving in Christian lives. God's only moving in Jesus lovers' lives. God's only moving in those who were like us's lives, but that's not the truth. God is listening to the begging of the lost. He hears it. He hears the prayer. 
And he gives them a command. He says, now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, right? And this is so funny to me because we get this name issue with Ananias and name issue with Philip and everything else. He says, send him to get this guy named Simon. This is a Jewish name who is also called Peter, you know. So who gave, Jesus, who gave Simon that name? Jesus did, you know, the rock, Petros. So he says, go get that rock of mine, you know, because he's staying at this other guy's house named Simon, which how confusing is this already, you know? And he's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, whose house is by the sea. Now, I'm not sure what Peter's doing over there at Simon the Tanner's house, right? Peter was always all over the place, scripturally. So I don't know what he's doing there. Is he, is he hiding out? Is he, is, he, is he preaching the word? Is he, I don't know where Peter's at right now. But Peter's over at Simon's house, and, you know, I don't know if it's one of those deals where I can knock on the door and say, is Simon here? And Simon go, you answer it at your house. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but when the angel had spoken to him, had left, had departed, Cornelius called two of his servants, and look what he did. He did exactly what he was told. A devout soldier, this is one who is pious, who is worshipful, and this isn't a devout soldier who is devout to God, it would seem. It's one who is giving much respect to Cornelius, right? A trusted soldier, someone, and you, who is he going to send? He's going to send two servants and a soldier along, right? And it says, he sent, he sent, uh, a devout soldier who is one of his attendants, right? This is someone who is really strong towards Cornelius. He really has a heart for him. So he sends three guys, one soldier and two servants, to go get this guy named Peter, Simon Peter. And he told them the whole story that had happened to him and sent them to Joppa. Now, you have to believe that there's something going on here that, that he's telling these folks. I mean, you know, you're, you're a commander in the military, but he's God-fearing, and they know this guy's a little different. But then he says to him, hey, now I need you. I, this is what happened. About the third hour... God spoke to me. And they're like, but what are they? They're, 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 they're kind of inclined towards Cornelius. And they say, okay. And they go. They're under authority. And they leave. And I just want you to see clearly exactly what God commands Cornelius does. What is he? We have a word for that. Obedient. He's obedient to what God is saying. And about noon the following day, now here's the second time. So we have this first time with, with Cornelius. Here's the second time. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. Now here he is, uh, the, the prayer that we're also used to. This is Peter. He's the lapdog. He rolls over and puts his belly up for God, you know, and just licks his hand and waits. This is the way we pray. And he's standing there before God on this roof, and he's praying. But look what happens here. It says, he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And I want you to just get a visual here what's going on, okay? So Peter is staying at a guest's house. By the way, the word here is xenos, which I love. The xenos word is hospitality. Anyone have gifts for hospitality? That's xenos. It means you're the kind of place that people can come and stay and be comfortable. You know, you, the houses you want to go into, we talked about earlier, for the first impressions team. The xenos idea, you know, hospitable people. And he's at this guy's house, Simon the Tanner, by the sea, which I don't know, you know, but seriously. I mean, who hasn't liked to go stay by the sea? Anybody? So, so he's there, and he's enjoying this moment. And he decides it's time to go pray. And he walks upstairs. And uh, he gets upstairs, and um, as he begins to pray, it says that um, it says he became hungry. This hunger arose in him, right? This genomite came into existence as he goes upstairs to pray. 
and he wants something to eat. You know, he wants something to, uh, to taste, to try, to experience. He wants to put something to, to, to nourish it. Have you ever had that experience where you've just got this desire, you know, and you're supposed to be doing something else, by the way. Here's Peter, right? You ever had a hard time praying for five minutes, let alone an hour, and you get all distracted by everything else? Well, here's Peter. He's going upstairs to pray, and he gets up there, and he's like, oh, I'm hungry, you know? And then he starts to have this thing. He's like, oh, I just want a taste of it. And I don't know how it works, but, you know, you can imagine if you're on the roof of a house and they're, what, preparing the food below, you start to kind of smell it, you know? And this is becoming a huge distraction for Peter. And then it says what? He fell into a trance. Isn't that awesome? I don't know. I feel like this is a guy's kind of Sunday. Have you, ever, have you ever gone away from the dinner table? You get home and you're hungry, you go away, and, and you're so hungry and you, 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 you slip into a trance, you know? You just smell it a little bit, and you're like, oh, I'm so hungry, and I want to say I want to encourage that this morning. If you're, if you're so hungry, you can't stand it, and you're just dying to taste something, and go pray. Go pray. Because God uses this in Peter's life in an amazing way. In an amazing way. And here's what God's going to do. God's going to bring some food to Peter. Okay? And so it says, he fell into this trance. This ecstasy, by the way, is the Greek. It means like the state of ecstasy. He's like, ooh, he's kind of floated off. And I don't know if it's because he's overly hungry or because it smells so good or because he wants it so bad. But there's something going on when he's praying that he kind of follows that and he gets into this place, this casting down of his mind is what ecstasy means. It means he kind of took off his, his hard-plated head for a minute and just began to drift with God. By the way, I want to read this ecstasy, this definition I've gotten. And, and I, I think it's hilarious because it's really confusing. A throwing down of the mind out of its normal state, an alienation of your mind, whether such uh, as such that makes a lunatic or that of a man who suddenly uh, is emotionally transported, as it were, out of himself, so that at this rapt condition, listen to what it says, although he is awake, his mind is drawn off from all surrounding objects and wholly fixed on divine things that he sees. And he sees nothing else at that point but the forms and images lying within. And he thinks that he perceives with his bodily eyes and ears the realities shown him by God. This is a holistically pure experience. He has cast off his mind. And, he, and I don't know what that means. That kind of bugs me a little bit. Does that unsettle you at all? That Peter went up there and kind of drifted off into this trance-like state where he floated away and saw visions of God? Here's the second definition. Amazement blended with fear and wonderment. Now, see, I can relate more to that because you've had to feel a little bit like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? What's going on? This is what it says. He fell into a trance, and Peter saw heaven, right? With his, he beheld with his eyes heaven opened up. Actually, he saw it opening up, and something like a large sheet letting down to earth by its four corners, right? And inside of it, it contained, and this is like a sheet, it's like it's contained as a vessel. It contains all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice told him, Peter, uh, get up, kill, and eat. This is his vision, now, I'm not sure what you see when you see this, when you hear this thing of the sheet that, that kind of comes down in this vision, and he's hungry, and he's waiting, and he's praying, and this thing comes down, and he's in a state of ecstasy, and he sees in the sheet when it gets low enough where he can see in it, and there's all the animals. But this is what I always, always viewed that as. Can we see that first one, the fruit? See, I always saw this was kind of like a smorgasbord, you know? 
And so whenever I saw Peter's reaction, I could never understand Peter's reaction. Because I thought, I thought, man, if you just saw this, this sheet come down with all, you're hungry, and the sheet comes down with all the food you could ever want, and God just says, hey, get up, kill and eat. But of course I realized, and this really is why I had in my mind, fruit, I had like the Thanksgiving basket in my mind, you know, but it actually is birds and animals and all this kind of stuff, living creatures that God is giving over sovereign to Peter in this time. And hit that next one. So here's the problem that Peter has. You see, Peter is well-trained as a Jew. Peter knows what the rules are. He, he, there's this conflict, right? And Paul's going to be coming back and talking to Peter about what's, going, what's up with the rules. And the church is going to start to ask, what's up with the rules? But Peter's been taught, you don't touch it, Peter. That stuff is beneath you. You don't reach into there and kill and eat. And this is where we get Peter's response from, which I love uh, so much. Because he says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter's response, like Peter's responses always are, is they're this visceral, they're from the gut, they're responses, and he means it. And he says, no way, no way, Lord, Peter replied, I have never eaten anything unclean. Now, isn't that interesting? God is telling him to get up and eat. And in that moment, Peter's everything, his lifetime of right and wrong, his lifetime of do not touch and touch, clean and unclean, everything wells up and he has this response. He says, no way, no way would I touch that, Lord. Like maybe it's a test, he's gonna fail. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe God let it down. If Peter reached in there, God was gonna do something. I don't know. But he says, no way, not me. I'm Peter and I'm clean. I think there's something else that's going on that we don't quite understand uh, with, with, with the visceral reaction that Peter has to this. Because it says the birds of the air and the animals, but there were very, very um, distinct laws about the food you should eat, right? This was very well written about, very well taught. If you knew anything as a Jew, you knew this. This is something that you knew. And so I thought, what would it be that would just, just turn our stomachs? And honestly, sadly, for Americans right now, there's not much that turns our stomachs, is there? I mean, I thought about a few things. I won't name names, but I thought about some of the things we put in our bodies we don't ask questions about, you know? The things on the back of the package that you can't pronounce anymore, and we just stick them in there because we don't know what we're doing. Just eat them. We don't think about it. And but we, don't, we aren't grossed out by that stuff anymore. And I thought, what would be, hit that, uh, hit that next one there. I found this image, and I have to tell you, I thought it was just, uh, as a youth pastor, you may recognize this. Uh, this is, uh, I think you guys did this, didn't you? And there's this thing called gum creations or something. What's it called? The gum snowman or something, right? And, and yeah, it's gross. And the kids all chew this stuff and they squeeze it into this little thing. And then it'd be like that, you see. It would be like God saying, hey, get up and eat it. No way. <laughs> That's disgusting. I'm not going to eat that. Look at it. Oh, it's got wetness on it. No way. God, stop. I'm not putting that in my mouth. One of the greatest joys of being a teenager, as a matter of fact, especially teenage boys, is you'll eat almost anything when you're a teenage boy because you start to realize that things don't kill you. And so you just eat it. Mmm. You know? And, and it's the funniest thing because you get a rise out of people who have lived long enough to stop doing that stuff. And it's still very gross as you get older. There's this visceral reaction that Peter has. But I want to say something else about this command that the angel gives before we move on. And it's this. He says, get up, right? Stand up, Peter, and kill and eat. And the kill word is 
Theo, or Thuo, I should say, right? And the kill doesn't mean just get up and bang, we're in the middle of hunting season, right? It doesn't mean get up and draw, you know, and then you skin it and you eat it. It means get up and sacrifice something. Peter, stand up and make a sacrifice of something. Sacrifice something in that vessel, in that sheet. Get up and do it and consume it. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to make a sacrifice. And I have a question about the text today. And my question is, what was God challenging Peter to get up and sacrifice? Was it an animal in the sheet? What was he being called to sacrifice? Because he was clearly being asked to get up and sacrifice something to God. And Peter's response was genuine, it was honest, and we all share it. And that's this, no way, no way. One of the things that Chris and I talk about a lot is what we won't do for God. I would challenge you today to ask that question, what won't you do for God? If you're a Christian following Jesus and you believe the words you profess with your mouth, you start to believe in your heart that Jesus is sovereign, that God is is sovereign, that Jesus is your Savior, and you are following him, what wouldn't you do? I would encourage you not to utter those things too often because I found in my experiences that when you say, I'll never do that, God says, oh, watch. Watch this. I'm not gifted for that. Watch this. We'll never go there. Watch this. Watch this. The word says, get up, Peter, sacrifice and eat. And he says, no way, by no means, not going to happen. I have never done it, and I never will. No way, Huh? not me. And it says, this happened three more times. And immediately, the sheet was taken up to heaven. Remember we talked about last week, that, that thing, that three times? See, there's a scriptural affirmation for me right there. If you've got to hear it three times before you spit it out, if you've got to hear it three times before you go and do it, keep listening. Count. Count. Because God will speak it to you repeatedly. Get up, kill, and eat. And he says this. He says, the voice spoke to him a second time. This is our memory verse for the week, by the way. And it says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this is Peter's big mistake. That when this thing is offered to Peter, God's not, this isn't a trick question. This isn't a test. God is saying, I have made a claim about the stuff in this vessel. I have made a claim about something in this, in this sheet that I'm offering to you. I would never offer you something that you should not take. And therefore, he says, do not call anything impure, that means common. When Peter says it's impure and unclean, he means it's uncommon and not holy. There's something about it that's not touchable, no way. And he says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And some other texts will even say it more profoundly. They'll say, don't call it, don't profane anything. Don't defile anything that God has made clean. And I'll tell you, we are good at this sometimes. We are good at this sometimes. We, we, we are good at this. I want to start here where, we, where we're more comfortable, okay? We're good at this whenever someone has come to faith in Jesus. And then we know they're on the same team, but we still don't, aren't real comfortable with them. You know what I'm saying? We're good, at, we're good then. But that's not the situation with Peter, you see. There's going to be something that he's going to ask him to do that's even beyond those who already know the gospel message. And immediately, as this happens a third time, he says, don't 
Call anything impure that God has made clean. Don't do it. And I just want you to see what an affront that is, that if God is working in someone's life, if God is revealing himself in someone's life, the last thing that God is asking us to do as followers of the way is to show up and to neglect or to berate or to belittle or to call unclean something that God has been doing ahead of us. Do you know what I'm saying? That means that you might be able to have the experience that Peter has here with Cornelius when he shows up and goes, oh, God's working here already. God's working here already. Let's look at what it says. Happened three times, and immediately in that moment, the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was still wondering about what this meaning was of this vision, right? So he's, he's, now he's all discombobulated. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Now, I want to tell you something here, too. This is fun, right? They found out diaroteo. This is the only time this word happens. It's D-I-E, die. Okay, so you might have to die on this one. D-I-E, roteo, R-O-T-A-O. Die, roteo, die, roteo. You know what they did? Only time it happens in Scripture. They found by asking. They asked directions. <laughs> so I just want to say, it only happens once in Scripture. Take some affirmation in that. But sometimes... When you're following God, you've got to ask him directions. And sometimes when you're lost, guys, you've got to ask directions. <laughs> There's no, nothing about your manhood being threatened there that you won't stop and ask. Diroteo, it's in Scripture one time. They literally, it says, they asked many people, right, through questioning. It says in the NIV, they found out. They said, where is this guy staying? Where is he staying? Where is he staying? Where is he staying? Until he got to the door. When they get to Simon's house, they stop at the door, at the gate, the entrance to the outside of the compound, as it were, right? And they called out, they hollered out, and they asked if Simon, who is known as Peter, is staying here. That means he's being, being taken care of here. This is his house. That means he, he's staying here with these folks, right? And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, now you see here, God is still with Peter because God knows that Peter has already said, no way. And God says, hey, if I make it clean, don't make it unclean. The Spirit comes to him. Look at the Holy Spirit moving in Peter's life and says, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them because I have sent them. Who has sent them? Who has sent these three men to Peter's door to knock? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, there are three men looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and don't hesitate because I sent them to you. Now, now Peter's starting to get used to this Holy Spirit stuff. But then he's like, and this becomes the, the, the thing that breaks the strawberries camel's back. This is the one that pushes him over the edge. And he says, and look what he does. He comes downstairs. And he says, Peter goes down, and he says to the men standing there, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? What is your reason for being here? I'm Peter, Simon Peter. And the men said, we've come sent by Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and godly man. And what's funny is it says God fearing here in NIV, but it doesn't say fearing again. He, they dropped the Phobos part. They just say Cornelius is a righteous and godly man, is what these guys are saying, who is respected by all the Jewish people. And a holy angel told him to come to, to this house so he could hear what you have to say. And they invited him in. Peter invited these folks into his house. This is a lot. There's a lot going on here. And we're going to get a chance to talk about it later. But, but uh, there's a lot going on here with this kind of same fear that Peter could have had. That these guys, first of all, not only are they unclean, you shouldn't be seen with them in public. This is gonna, you're going to get thrown out of the synagogue again. Something that the Christians get used to, getting cast out over and over again because of who they'll associate with. Here's the good word, though, that this casting out that the Christians repeatedly go through, and maybe you do, too, if you've ever been booted out, is something familiar to Jesus. 
because Jesus would continually cast out, cast out, cast out. There's something about this response that Peter knows he has to pay a price for having these men in, and even more so by following them and going to the place uh, where they are leading him. And so Peter goes. He goes with them. And I want to read two final verses, two final verses here. And I'm going, to, I'm going to invite you to respond to the living God today in whatever way that looks like to you. In verse 34, when Peter goes to the house and he walks in there, right, and he starts to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Cornelius. Cornelius, by the way, gathered all of everybody he knew because he was so confident that the Holy Spirit was bringing back this guy Peter and we had to listen to what he said. And this passion that Cornelius had to say, everyone, 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 come to the house, come to the house. And he gets them all in there. There's a sense when Peter gets in there and starts to speak, he's overwhelmed because they're expecting a word from Peter. Peter what? The foot and mouth guy, right? Peter that always gets it wrong. They're expecting something profound to come out of Peter's mouth. And Peter shows up and he starts to speak to them about uh, what it means in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the transformation. He, and some of these guys even know the story already, but in 34 it says this, then Peter began to say, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And this is a big switch for Peter. And actually I love the text that says, God is no respecter of man. It means there's not a boundary he won't cross. There's not a sinner he won't save. There's not someone that's so lost that he won't touch. There's not someone who's done something so horrible that he'll cast them out forever. Do you see what he's saying here? Peter says, God cuts across all lines. God is saving the world, folks. We, we, do, we, we respond to the living gospel. We, we seek out the lost. We try to be there and walk with them. But God is doing the work. And he's doing the work before we show up. He's doing the work. God's preparing hearts and preparing minds. And in that moment, if we're sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, we might get a chance to step in and just say something like, man, that's awesome that God's been working with your life already. Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how he offers forgiveness? Do you know how much he wants you to be forgiven? That he would die on a cross, sinless, for you. That the one guy in history who had nothing, nothing, done nothing wrong, had no sin to atone for, had been obedient at every turn, would go to a cross and be crucified and mocked and spit upon because he knows you. He knows you. And I want to see today, church, that God moves first in the lives of the lost. That before we show up with our Bible in hand and our heroic costume on, God's been there saving the day. And I want to say to you, wherever you are today, if you're in the valley or if you're on the mountaintop, man, you got the same need for a Savior wherever you are. And this is the gospel we proclaim to you today. I want you to hear today, too, that God prepares his servants for the work that lies ahead. He does not just throw us in there all willy-nilly. And sometimes it's okay to say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not doing that because God will use that in your life to transform it. There's a bigger picture being painted, friends. A bigger story that's being told. And the last thing, um, and my heart this is to admit, we all have a need to be clean. And we all have this need. And it's offered nowhere else but Jesus. I don't see it. I've talked. I've, I've journeyed. I've searched. And it's in this gospel of Jesus Christ 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever might dare to believe would be saved. And then God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, not to damn it to hell. God sent his son into the world that the world through him might be saved. And um, that's the gospel this morning. So I want to challenge you that if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, today could, today's the day. I say today could be the day. Today's the day, you know. Just give it over. And if, if, you, want to, if you want to come and pray, come and pray. If you want to sit and pray, sit and pray. If you want to grab a friend, a neighbor, sit there and pray with them, pray with them. This is the beginning of a transformation of your life. And I'm not saying, you see, that it's going to be easy sailing because it, it gets hard. It gets hard. But it's life. It's, it's life. Maybe for the first time you've ever had it. It's that taste that Peter longed for on the roof. And God's offering it today. Salvation through Jesus. So I'd encourage you today to respond to that. And I also want to encourage you, if you're a, if you're a longtime follower, that you be praying about, what are those things, Lord, that I'm repulsed by? What are those things, Lord, that I said I'd never touch, I'd never do it, no way, because Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that person. He died for that situation. He died for that sin. And let's not ever forget it. Let's not ever forget the price that was paid. So I'm encouraging you today. I'm, I'm going to hang out up here, and I'm going to be praying. If you want to come up and pray with me, I'd invite you to come pray with me. We're going to do a couple, uh, sing a couple of songs. Just be open to God this morning. I would encourage you to do that.